welcome to the Root Simple Podcast, Episode 2, the audio companion to the Root Simple blog, where we cover DIY living. In this episode, we'll discuss Kelly and my experience attempting to eliminate processed sugar from our diets, as well as that secret modification I made to the homestead while Kelly was on a camping trip. I'm Eric Knutson, a.k.a. Mr. Homegrown. I'm joined today by my co-conspirator, Kelly Coyne, a.k.a. Mrs. Homegrown. Uh, I still feel a little bit like Rupert Pupkin in The King of Comedy, you know, recording a talk show in the basement. You feel like that, Kelly? Well, you've got more of an audience than Rupert did, because he didn't have the infrastructure back then. That's true. That's true. Everybody could be Rupert now. That was Everybody a... could be better than Rupert. Anyways, uh, I thought we'd start with the first topic, uh, which is sugar. I thought I would, I would play the trailer, actually, to the uh, movie that's out right now called Fed Up, which is narrated by Katie Couric and has, has a bunch of um, public health doctors and other officials and uh, fast food giants and all kinds of people in it. Uh, and it kind of inspired our current household sugar paranoia. The epidemic here is worse than previously estimated, much worse. The message that's been pushed on us. It's your fault you're fat. Shouldn't be so hard to get them to run around and play, right? They have voracious appetites and they don't exercise enough. It's about how active our kids are. Forget about it. There are 600,000 food items in America. 80% of them have added sugar. Your brain lights up with sugar just like it does with cocaine or heroin. You're going to become an addict. You end up with one of the great public health epidemics of our time. This is the first generation of American children expected to lead shorter lives than their parents. I am 12 years old and my doctors have said that I am a statistic. We're blaming willpower and it's a crime. Over 95% of all Americans will be overweight or obese in two decades. We're toast as a country. The sugar industry is extraordinarily powerful. They're in business to make money, not to keep America healthy. What if our whole approach to this epidemic has been dead wrong? The government is subsidizing the obesity epidemic. We place private profit ahead of public health. Systematic political failure. By 2050, one out of every three Americans will have diabetes. Those diseases are being driven by sugar. This is the fundamental problem nobody's talking about in society. We could cure 80% of the problem where they prepared the food in the school. Tomato paste is a vegetable? Really? Junk food companies are acting very much like tobacco companies did 30 years ago. I would reject entirely any argument that they are in any way harmful. Lying through their teeth. Kids are being told the biggest lie they will ever hear in their lives. Ronald McDonald never sells to children. He informs and inspires through magic and fun. If a foreign nation were doing that to our children, we would defend our families years from now, we're going to say, I can't believe we let them get away with that. You have to change the diet of America. It's all preventable. I think that um, moment with the McDonald's spokesman yep. saying uh, he informs with uh, magic and fun or something to that. He informs and inspires with that, magic and fun. That's right. I love that moment, too, because the... Uh, the woman who says it, you can hear it in her voice, uh, how tense and tight and her shallow her voice is. is you know, she's either really nervous or really, oh, I don't know, just maybe just permanently oppressed. You can tell, you also can see her in the movie and, and you can see that 
um, McDonald's headquarters is not a place of magic and fun. <laughs> Definitely not a place of magic and fun. What did you think of the uh, documentary? Uh, you know, it was like one of those normal documentaries that it's a little bit sensationalistic, a little bit too much heavy on the talking heads and the and the uh, ominous music and the hyperbole. You know, there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. But I think the you know it may be necessary to use those sorts of tools in mass media to get a message across. I don't disagree with the message. It just wasn't like an artistic documentary that I walked away from going, oh wow, what a wonderful documentary. Nonetheless, the information is important. I always like verite when they actually are just rolling cameras on, well, whatever is going on. But uh, it seems as though, of course, the the major players in this movie on the, let's say, the bad side of it, the, the major food producers weren't willing to appear on camera. No. Because it, it's a pretty obvious there from the movie that they're kind of where tobacco executives were. They know um, there's a problem. Yeah. They're they're scrambling to cover the problem to keep the keep the gates of commerce open as long as they can. Nevertheless, the central message of the movie really struck us and the the people we saw the movie with as well. And and we went home, uh, and you know the day I, or two after we watched uh, Doctor Robert Lustig. I have to say, I watched some Lustig before I even saw the movie. Uh, I actually started the sugar fast before I saw the movie. There you go. I, now, was, I was a little bit ahead of Let's back movie. up for a second. Dr. Robert Lustig is a, a pediatric uh, endocrinologist at uh, UC San Francisco. And he is really kind of the central figure in the movie. Now, there's a couple other doctors. There's the, uh, other author doctor types that are even more adamant than he is. But Lustig is a big one, for yeah, sure. Yeah, Lustig... And, and you know, and his central thesis is that well, a calorie is not a calorie is one thing. That's one of the messages of the movie, which is something that's been beaten home into all of us. I think that a calorie is a calorie, and it's just about exercise and eating responsibly, and that you know sweets and treats of different sorts can fit into a balanced lifestyle, which is what the food companies want us to believe. But Lustig explains why a calorie is not a calorie, and a calorie that comes into your body uh, as a whole food with fiber attached, especially uh, acts very, very differently in your body than sugar, which goes straight to your liver. The most shocking thing I found out was that when you drink straight sugar, like in the form of a soda or a fruit juice or candy, uh, you take that into your body, it's shunted straight to the liver. It doesn't go to any other parts of your digestive system. They have not, they, they can't do anything with it. So it just goes straight to the liver in the liver, the liver creates insulin to deal with that shock. So it's a bit of a shock on the liver. It's hard on it. Um, and it can, and inevitably, it has to turn. Oh, I forgot. oh here's is the biochemistry third? that we don't no, have. No, is it a third of the calorie? Oh, I've just forgotten the number. Oh, my senile brain. That's okay. No, but, but it turns a percentage of the calories. I want to say a third, but I think that's too much. Straight into fat cells. It can't. It can't do anything else with them except take the sugar and and shunt them into fat cells. So in this very direct, literal way, sugar makes you fat in the way that like a handful of almonds wouldn't make you fat. That's the example Lustig uses in, in the lecture that you can watch on YouTube. And that's what makes him unique in this argument is that he's an endocrinologist. So he's looking at the way that the body processes sugar as opposed to just looking at those raw calories coming in and out. Uh, maybe we should listen to a little bit of that lecture. This is very NPR of you, I've got to say, honey. 
Oh, this putting the excerpts in? The excerpts, this is very interesting. Trying to up the production value here a little <laughs> bit. Uh, why don't we listen to a little bit of Lustig's lecture, which you can uh, hear on YouTube, and we'll have a link in it's, the show notes. What's the name of the lecture? Uh, Sugar, the Bitter Truth. All right, there you go. In order to talk about the environment, we need to talk about what is obesity. And of course, you're all familiar with the basic concept of the first law of thermodynamics, which states that the total energy inside a closed system remains constant. Now, in human terms, the standard interpretation of this law is the following. If you eat it, you better burn it, or you're going to store it. Now, who here believes that? Oh, come on, you all do. Okay. I used to believe that. I don't anymore. I think that's a mistake. I think that is the biggest mistake, and that is the uh, phenomenon I'm going to try to debunk over the course of the, uh, over the next hour. It's a provocative lecture, to be sure. People should uh, listen to the rest of it. And uh, if you have a science background, there's a section, which we don't, by the way. Uh, there's a section of it that is very technical, but, but very interesting. I could understand a little bit of it. But basically, he gets into why sugar is different. Uh, processed sugar, to be clear, is different than, um, than other calories. Well worth uh, viewing, and it, it inspired uh, an experiment in the household, which was to give up processed sugar for a while. Uh, how, did, how did that go, Kelly, for you? It was hard at first. It, the way it worked was uh, the first couple days, it was fine. And then like day maybe three, four, five was very rough. I was surprised that I was so, you know, that I was feeling withdrawal symptoms, like clear withdrawal symptoms. I was not happy. And then it eased off and I did a full, well, I, I, I was shooting for 10 days. I actually did 12. It got easier as it went along. I was, I was kind of proud of myself. I got, I even went camping during that time. Yeah. And how do you, how do you camp without, uh, without a cliff down? bar? Yeah, exactly. I know. I, I know that was, I was, I didn't think I would do it. I thought, well, maybe I'll just break. I had this camping trip uh, planned before I got this notion and I thought, well, I can do like a seven day fast. I mean, what does it matter? But I, I decided to just keep doing it through the camping trip and, the key was um, bringing along really good home-cooked food. So I had been on a cooking spree um, before I went camping, and I saved a lot of that, the leftovers, and froze them in mason jars. I felt so, like, righteous. So not only was I bringing delicious home-cooked food, I was bringing it in, in you know, mason jars so there was no waste. Um, and I brought along a lot of salad fixings, and so we were eating this kind of amazing Middle Eastern food with fresh salad. Uh, and I, I had, I don't know, I was just eating so well that I didn't feel the need for sugar. Um, I did have some, there were some nuts and there was some salty snacks. Like it wasn't totally without junk food. I had some kind of like, you know, popcorn cheese snacks, doodles, cheese doodles. I had a few of these kinds of things, um, you know, just as my camping treat. That's it. I was having egg salad sandwiches for lunch. You know, again, high protein, high fat. High protein, high fat seems to help with the with the cravings. Um, and I gave myself permission during the fast, the sugar fast, to eat anything else I wanted. I wasn't trying to restrict calories or any other food groups. And I found myself drawn uh, a lot to fat. Uh, so I'd be having like a slice of Eric's um, really good whole whole grain toast with... Uh, Thank you for the plug there, oh yeah, by Eric, the way. He makes the best bread. Uh, really dense, really, really dense breads. Um, slathered with butter and then slathered with a high-fat cheese because I really like cheese and butter together. <laughs> so I'd be eating like things like that. And also um, flavor helps a lot too. So protein, 
fat and um, highly flavored things help cut sugar uh, cravings as well. So I was sprinkling za'atar, which is a thyme, uh, Middle Eastern thyme blend, on a lot of stuff, um, you know, seeking out the pickles and the hot sauce, things like that help. But it did get easier as I went on. And then I started feeling really good. I started feeling kind of light and fit. And I know it's psychological. It's not like I'm actually dropping weight or anything's really changing. But I, I wasn't feeling kind of I didn't have those sort of self-loathing feelings that happen, like, in conjunction with binging, like, oh, I'm such a slob, oh, I'm middle-aged, oh, I'm always going to have this belly, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And instead, I felt, um, I was feeling very, like, uh, perky. I don't know how else to describe it. And then today, I finally had my first sugar um, after all in, this in time. In the form of... Uh, Almond croissant. Right, which from is the what corner I, bakery. From our local bakery, there's a... I, I love pastry. Uh, it's, it's my favorite form of sugar delivery. Fortunately or unfortunately, there's a bakery within walking distance that has a decent almond croissant, crispy on the outside, lots of almond paste on the inside, which I, I, I love those, and they're hard to find, actually. And the fact that I have them available within walking distance now has not always been the healthiest thing for me. Uh, Maybe but, the uh, Kutskat Leka Bakery could be a sponsor for the Root Simple podcast. Yeah, the sugar-free <laughs> Root Simple podcast. I think we're... Actually, the sugar-full. Sugar-full. Well, yeah, so I went, so, but today I was like, this is it. I'm going to celebrate. You know, it's been 12 days. It's not like I'm going to go off sugar for the rest of my life. I just didn't go off right away because I, I, I was feeling kind of good on it and um, I wanted to go off it for special, something special, like I was saving myself. And I thought, well, my almond croissant, my best, my best friend, I'll do that. Went down and got one and came back and made a cup of tea. And I, I have to admit to being a bit like a junkie at that point. I was really excited about my almond croissant. And then the phone rang and it was my brother and I had to talk to him. And, the, and, and I wasn't going to eat the almond croissant while I talked to him because I wanted to savor the moment. So I was actually kind of impatient with him because I wanted to get off the phone and eat my damn croissant. Finally, finally, I got my time, me and my croissant alone time. And I, I gobbled it down and all of its fatty, sugary goodness. But I uh, don't feel so good now. This long story short, I don't feel good. And you think you may continue the sugar-free experiment? I don't know. It just hit me like a bomb. I ate it about an hour ago, and I, I feel heavy and a little queasy, like it was too much, and I'm a little twitchy, uh, a little bit like I've had too much caffeine. It's like a weird, like top of the head and pit of the belly discomfort, like two two systems thrown off whack by it. Sounds like you might try to continue the sugar-free thing then. Well, I, I mean, it's, it's very hard to continue the sugar-free th thing, but I guess we could talk about the, the um, we, we've been thinking um, well, during why, this. Why don't, why, don't we, why don't we talk about where I was in this whole thing? Okay, yeah, why don't we do that? Uh, because uh, I don't how, did, how did I do during this whole I, thing? I would be hard-pressed to say that you were actually doing a sugar fast. Well, I'll, I'll admit that the first day Kelly suggested this thing, I downed maybe half a bag of chocolate chips with the uh, rationale that, well, someone else will get these or they they'll go bad. Around. Yeah, they were in the fridge. If I eat them, Kelly won't get to them. And he just would stand there in front of the fridge popping chocolate chips in his mouth while I'm starting my fast. Thank you very much. Uh, and then subsequently, you went on the camping trip. I stayed here, hold up with the cats and the chickens and everyone. Well, I, to back up, I got to say, you spent your... Um, you, you never gave up your grape nuts and your soy milk. I yeah, I have a lazy breakfast which I've been trying to replace As now for several months. Readers know that, that, uh, yes, that Eric is a grape nuts fan, and you've all tried to help him find better breakfasts, 
but we he did is switch. a great nuts addict. Well, yeah, we switched to a kind of sugary granola for a while that we were making ourselves. We oh, could try to that reduce no, that we can't. Oh. sugar level a bit. That, that was actually one reason, I think, for my fast was that granola. It, it, our friend gave us the recipe, this top secret recipe, most amazing granola. It's like I met my soul food, like the, I could live on that granola. And I basically did. I was making it in like gallon batches. It was like the fattiest, sugariest, fruitiest, most amazing granola. I could eat it breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I think it's directly responsible for me gaining about 10 pounds. It's a bit sugary though. And you know, to get back to my grape nuts, they have about I think five to, depends on the serving size, but probably the amount I'm eating, five to seven grams of, of sugar, plus the rice milk that I use with it, which is another couple of grams of sugar. I figured about 10 grams all told in the like morning. I think you're getting two, three teaspoons of sugar something like that, which with every is breakfast. Almost a third of what the uh, Heart Association or suggests. Or half of what who suggests. Exactly, the, the World, World Health, Health Organization. Organization. Not Roger Daltrey's band. The, the, indeed. <laughs> Does Roger Daltrey's band have a sugar... A sugar recommendation? Recommendation, if Mr. only Townsend, they did. what do you think about sugar consumption? Uh, but to sum it up, it's a little harder, as many of you probably know, to reduce sugar because it's in everything. Yeah. Any, everything is processed. Basically, you have to make everything from scratch, which we should probably all be doing. But let's face it, that can be difficult. And a lot of these processed foods, they are everywhere. As that, that was one of the interesting things in, in Fed Up, the, the documentary, was the moment where they showed where all these highly processed foods are. And they're not just in supermarkets, of course. They're at office supply stores. They're at Home Depot at the checkout counter. They're in places where there never used to be food before. It is literally everywhere. It's very, very hard to stay away from it. Uh, It should be said, we don't drink soda. We don't eat that kind of stuff but nevertheless it still sneaks in it's still in in there it's in it's in like all the like the nut and soy milks it's in um eric got these delicious um vegetarian sausages for us and they were like so sugary that was maybe one of the ways i did actually break my sugar fast during that time he he uh fried up some of those for dinner with something else one night and I was eating them. I'm like, oh, these are so sweet. These are amazingly sweet because you, you get more sensitive to the sugar when you're off it. And I realized that sugar was one of the, the top ingredients in those sausages. But another issue that came up on the blog in regards to this, the sugar fast, of course, was this idea that, uh, and Kelly and I, you and I had argued about this a little bit uh, before we saw the documentary, which is a tendency to demonize a particular ingredient or component of food. Uh, Typically, in the last 100 years, it rotates between demonizing fat or carbohydrates or 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 sugar or gluten, or there's always some uh, villainous food. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's actually been gluten for a while. Uh, And when I go to the big food convention uh, down in Orange County every year, I see booth after booth after booth of uh, gluten-free products. I think we're going to start seeing a lot of, particularly because of this movie and the publicity surrounding it, we're going to see a lot of uh, sugar-free or low-sugar products being pushed. And then what are those going to have in them? Exactly, that aren't necessarily going to be healthy. I mean, basically, the I mean, the, I think the food industry is more 
more than happy to to ride or ride on any trend we have, whether it's a low-fat trend or a gluten-free trend or whatever, because it gives them opportunity for marketing and for new product development and new product placement. Uh, so they create markets, you know, where they weren't there before, and, and that's good for their bottom line. I do where I don't know what they'll do with the with the no sugar push, because they need they need fat. I mean, the only way you make a processed food taste good is to load it with fat or sugar or salt, and mm. the salt and the fat have already been demonized. And I'm not well. They'll readjust. They'll increase the salt and the fat again. I guess uh, some kind of unintended consequence it will not be. So it comes back to it comes back to home cooking. I mean, that's that's just what it comes to is that you can't eat pre prepared food from any source. You just you just can't trust it and. It's not easy for us to hear that because I think at this point, most of us have grown up with convenience foods. Either you'd have to be, I don't know how old to remember the day, you know, remember when you had to cook everything by yourself. And and I think we have a sort of sense of entitlement that, you know, I'm tired, I'm busy, I don't want to cook, you know, give me something to eat that's good, give it to me fast. And um, I, the more I do home cooking the more I realize that, you know, really good food is never is never made fast. You can make decent food really fast. I'm not saying that it takes a long time to make something home-cooked. I think you can whip up a really, really solid home-cooked dinner in a half an hour with, you know, I mean, and I'm talking like the salad and everything in a half an hour. But I've been doing some more intensive Middle Eastern cooking where you stew things for a long time to bring out flavors and you, you toast the spices and you grind them. And, oh, my God, that really... It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but is it good? It's really good. It's good. Uh, I don't know. So some good things take time. I don't know. I, I think I'm arguing. We're I'm preaching arguing to the choir out here. of yeah. out of uh, home cooking, but oh, it's good. We got to uh, along the lines though. Get to get back to this topic of demonizing foods. We got yeah. a really interesting comment from uh, Root Simple reader Rebecca, who uh, on leaving a comment on the uh, Kelly's original post on uh, Fed Up the the sugar uh, movie about sugar. Uh, Rebecca says. Uh, some colleagues of mine just recently published a paper from a huge ambitious study in mice where they gave each mouse one of 25 diets containing different levels of protein, carbohydrate, and fat and tracked feeding and lifespan. It seems to me like Americans really like to cling to stories that single out specific ingredients uh, such as gluten or sugar. But most foods contain a mixture of things. Evidence from the mouse study and studies in other animals suggests that many animals jointly regulate the intake of protein and carbohydrate, but with protein exerting a stronger effect on feelings of fullness. Interestingly, the mice didn't regulate for fat. They just ate whatever amount of fat was packaged along with the protein and carbohydrate. In tracking lifespan, they found that mice given lower-protein, high-carbohydrate diets actually had the longest lifespan and other indicators of better health compared to mice on high-protein foods. They were actually more interested in refuting the caloric restriction hypothesis of aging, which ignores the type of of calorie involved. But I think there are broader implications. Uh, Rebecca continues, I watched Robert Lustig's video six months ago. And I do think he makes some important points. Plus, I learned a lot about the biochemistry of intermediate metabolism from him. However, I'd still go back to this whole idea of vilifying a single ingredient. Americans are still eating way too much processed food overall. And processed food is a larger culprit in my book, especially because it's cheap to add fat, carbohydrates, and salt to processed foods, but expensive to add protein. I thought that was a, a really interesting 
point and and spoke to some of my concerns about it's not about Lustig's magic. I think Lustig is right for sure about sugar. I think I, I I'm convinced from his argument. It's just the possible misinterpretation in the way that this sugar villainization could be used for other ends that aren't necessarily the best ends. I, and there's, it's it's impossible to come up with simple solutions for something as complex as eating. Eating is is just embedded in 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 culture so deeply, and in psychology, and in, in emotion, uh, and then complicated by legislation and marketing. And oh, it's it's endless. It's an endless tangle. It's a huge complex system. So, no, it's never simple, and we do try to stay away from absolutist statements um, and fads um, because we've learned over time that it. Always the like the boat always shifts direction, but I think there's enough evidence now to understand that sugar is dodgy. I, there's no evidence that it has any health benefits for you whatsoever. Exactly, so it's we don't it's need like that. Arguing for like some bad boyfriend, you know, it's like, well, he doesn't beat you, but he doesn't do anything else for you, you know. Like, why do you keep him around? <laughs> Eric this doesn't like my. Uh, uh, did you see the uh, dear husband? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, sugar. The, like, but it's like what we're talking about is like, should we uh, take sugar out of our diet uh, because it's 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 actively bad for you, or should we take it out of our diet because it does us no good? Like, nobody can argue that it has like really any benefit except for except for hitting those pleasure centers. Maybe it's just a special occasion food. Well, that's what I wanted to talk about is like, where do we go next? Um, you know, how uh, how much sugar do we eat and what forms do we eat it? We've been looking uh, the, at different recommendations. Roger Daltrey of The Who recommends that we have six spoonfuls of sugar a day. They, the Who recommends... The World uh, Health Organization. I, mean, the World, <laughs> I just like calling them The Who. The WHO uh, recommends um, that we, it would be best if the, your average adult took in no more than 5% of their daily calories in sugar, which... Um, at, if it's a 2,000 calorie diet, is about six spoonfuls of sugar. The AMA, the, uh, the American no, Heart, Heart Association, Association, recommends six for women and gives men three extra, nine. Right. And it should be said that uh, I, I believe these are based on epidemiological studies. From JAM, there's a you can pretty easily find online a, a article or a, a report on this study. Because in it JAMA. seemed it seemed a little arbitrary to me at first when I first saw these recommendations. Where, where did these numbers come from? But it, it seems like they are based on, on something. It's, yeah, it's, I don't know. It seems that people who, who take in a lot of sugar in their diet, a lot of their calories through sugar in their diet, um, like 25% or more, are at much higher risk of various cardiovascular diseases, um, high blood pressure, the cancer. Everything gets worse the more sugar you take. And they seem to cross-reference that across race and class and eating habits and whatever, but it seems like sugar is what ties these things together. But for me, after sugar fasting for a while, uh, six spoonfuls of sugar actually seems like a lot to play with. It actually seems decadent. It's funny. And then even though I was cheating a bit, I you did have... Well, I mean... Oh, we the, have to come back no, to you. But you the, you the sort thing, of wiggled out of this. You were never sugar fasting. It, I when was. You, however, when? I would point out I was still well below... The uh, right, you were having like three a day with your breakfast. Exactly, and were I was no, I didn't actually did not cheat did other than breakfast and the chocolate chips. And, well, that was the that first. Package? That was the first day, but after that, I I did not actually have any dessert items the whole time you were off camping, and uh, only broke that 
dessert fast, if we call it that. Uh, I think last night when I had a cookie or something, and it, it seemed obscenely sweet. And that's the thing is that taste buds kind of get a, they adjusted. Get readjusted. I think that's one reason you would want to do the fast as opposed to just uh, cutting back because I think it does it does recalibrate your taste buds. And that's important. So it makes fruit taste really, really good. I should be clear that I ate fruit during my sugar Yeah, Lustig says, too, that fruit is fine because fruit, of course, has fiber and micronutrients in it. And it's not just pure sugar like, um, like, well, straight table sugar is. But also, you know, also important to note, he does not like fruit juices either. Because it takes all of the complicated stuff out and it's just, he's, it's basically sugar to your liver. Which I'll, I'll say we don't have... Uh, fruit juices around here either even though we live in a neighborhood where you can walk to a ten dollar juice place there's so many fancy juice places around here Uh, but i've never liked juice i've always felt like it was too sugary uh, so that's no loss to me but so yeah so i'm down and so i'm thinking six i've got this six teaspoon sugar budget that i don't think i'll spend every day i think maybe i'll do something to keep myself on track where i can allow myself one day a week um a decadent dessert kind of sweet, like this almond croissant I just had, or a trip to Scoop's Ice Cream Parlor to have a double scoop of ice cream, or something like that once a week. I think that would be reasonable. And then freedom to do something like add a little sugar to a hot beverage, or a little honey, or... Um, Although it gets starts to sneak in again. I know. I know. What are you going to do? I think I'll stick to basically the same, what you're talking about. Yeah. What you just said. What I said? Sounds good to me. All right. I still feel so icky in the belly from this croissant. I'm very disappointed because I love my croissants, but it's not loving me right now. I'm sad. Another topic that we took up on the blog is a short blog, short little silly blog post. Uh, I, I noted that while Kelly was off on a camping trip, on her camping trip, I made a slight modification to the homestead and I dared her to find what I did. Uh, actually, I should say before I, she got a ride uh, for this particular camping trip, just after I dropped her off, I ran off to get the parts to make this little Thank modification. You were, after you dropped me off, you just... I, I went straight to the... Uh, Where'd you go? Well, that's what I, I asked you to figure out what I had done. Well, first, I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you no. about it. I, I put the blog post up, but I don't think you saw it. No, and well, I got I, back from my trip, and I just didn't look at the blog. I didn't know what you'd been doing. Thank you very much. And a couple of days <laughs> went by, and, and he Kelly was didn't say anything. I, didn't, I hadn't reviewed the blog, which had, was a challenge to me to find his hidden thing, his Easter egg. Then I, I told her that I had made a change to the house, and I dared her to find it. And... And then I started looking around, and, and I still couldn't, couldn't figure find it. it out. It was yeah. And in, in retrospect, you admit it was kind of glaringly obvious what I well, had done. Well, no, it's not glaringly obvious. Who cares what's on roofs? Well, yeah, now you're giving it away. Well, <laughs> what what did I do? Well, what was I what supposed was to the keep change? it secret? Well, no, yeah, now you can tell. What, well, what did I? What what was the the what Eric slight had, modification? What Eric's modification was was he put a really really ugly antenna on our roof. Hey, to be specific, a ham, ham radio, ham antenna, radio antenna. two meter, 70 centimeter for those out there into that kind of thing. It's just a pole. 
It's not like it's not that ugly. It's not actually. like you know, like I, you know, I'm I'm old enough to remember the days when they would have those big, you know, well, the TV that, antennas with all yes, the with I hate all to, the arms. I hate to Are tell you this. That, well, something even bigger than even that bigger may than be that. coming. It's the way this works. This is just like, um, kind of like a just a a. a, a it's a small pole. It's like lashed, a three, it's about a three foot. About three foot pole lashed to like was like one of the. It's an uh, unused, unused heater, heater pipe. pipe. Yeah, it's 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 extremely ugly. But I contend that nobody looks at roofs. Why would you look at the roof? And it does have a purpose. It's in, a, not in an easy. earthquake. I'll I'll point out we can we can talk to to people all over the region with this little antenna. Why the reason I couldn't find it was because. You know, when you're standing on the back porch, it's it's on the the back side of the house roof. When you're standing on the back porch, you're too close to it to see it. You can't see it from the porch. The reason I didn't see it was because from the patio, the back patio or the back porch, whatever you want to call it, when you look up, you can't see it. You just see the um, gutters. You you can't get back far enough because of the way our yard is shaped. There's there's garden beds in the way. Um, initially, and then more garden beds, and it just—it's a you just—I would have had to go to a very specific place far in our backyard, and then looked back to see it um, back by the chicken coop. I think I could see it, um, but I was looking close up. I was—I was looking all around the edges of the house and all through the inside of the house. I couldn't find it. You can also see it. It turns out from the front street, but across the street in front of our neighbor's house. It's still see. fairly stealthy. I, I, it's still—it's quite stealthy. And you were just like. So, Eric well, was the, cackling with glee that I couldn't find it and laughing at me and calling me blind and how could I not see such an obvious thing and just so tickled with himself that I couldn't find this thing. And I, I declare that nobody can be expected to find something like that because it, it was just uh, Well, people, people don't look up, I guess, is, is the, the, what, what, the, what the factor was Well, here. knowing you and the ham thing, I should have thought of antenna. I don't know why I didn't think antenna right away, because what else would you be doing but trying to put an antenna on our roof? I, in my defense, I will say that it was out of public service. In, a, in an emergency, it will be a handy thing for the, for the neighborhood. We can, we can talk uh, quite long distances with it, I'll say. How far can we talk? Well, uh, you know, I'm new to all this, but we can, we can hit all the local repeaters with it and uh, talk regionally. Uh, and thanks to some internet connections, you can actually talk around the world, but that's, that depends on the internet a little bit. But primarily, I got it for uh, regional communication. This is not around the world communication regional, with a particular what's antenna. Uh, you know, the LA area, Southern like California. Yeah, and Orange County, actually. You can, you can reach down there. So after sure. an earthquake, you can get on it and talk to your yeah, brothers? Yeah, exactly. And sisters. And I should say we're very lucky to be able to do it because there's a lot of uh, communities around the world that are forbidding people from putting up ham radio antennas. Why? Uh, well, uh, HOAs. Oh, because they're ugly. That, well, that's what the neighbors think. However, again, I'd point out in an emergency, it's nice to have a few people with, with the communications mm-hmm. abilities. Well, it's um, funny. Like the ugliness is relative. I mean, I mean, Eric asked me if he thought, you know, if I thought that the antenna was ugly. I didn't want it to be ugly either. Well, I, it, I'm like, of course it's ugly, but L.A. is ugly. What does it matter? Like, if you're standing in the back and you're looking at the roof, our roof line, and there's an extra pole sticking off our roof line, what does that matter in a sea of billboards and traffic lights? I mean, really, really, it doesn't matter. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's my ringing endorsement of LA and the aesthetics of our roof line. There actually are 
antennas you can get that are disguised as other things because of this HOA problem. What, what would a, you disguise them as? Uh, well, the, store? My, my, no, my favorite ones are disguised within uh, flagpoles, which I think is kind of funny when uh. you think about that. And other ones are, are disguised as heater vents and things like that. Oh, they're like squat. Uh, well, no, they're they're actually just within those pipes. So oh. they're within the, the, the oh. uh, telephone, uh, the um, flagpole or within the, the heater vent. I think they should make artificial storks and put them on the roofs. Well, there you go. And then they have antennas. Or uh, a styrofoam Santa Claus with an antenna that never comes down. I think the HOAs get mad about that kind Probably. of business, too. Well, you could, could you have like a, a, an antenna that's actually embedded in Christmas lights and you wrap your house with Christmas lights? And your whole house is an antenna? Uh, probably. Hmm. And unfortunately... there's a lot of people around here who never take their lights down and, you know... That would be a good way. Unfortunately, this is probably the first of several planned antennas, which we haven't gone over what? yet. But so yes. the first of several planned antennas. Indeed. This is the. Yeah, I like the way you sound. Like this is a bureaucratic decision that you're just delivering the message. <laughs> it's not all your idea. <laughs> I'm speaking of the first of several planned antennas. Well, <laughs> who planned them? It's like a passive voice we, used to good effect. There, we do need to communicate around the world, well, right? So the other antennas are for communicating around the world indeed and they'll have to be a little bit larger they'll have to be a little bit larger with arms we'll talk about it we put plastic skunks on them (laughs) there you go (laughs) we have a question this week from a listener in charleston south carolina about contaminated soil it's yet another question that took us two years to answer uh, apologies. Yeah, apologies. But apologies it's a really good that. question, so I think we should we should, still we should have do a it. listen. And uh, we hope she'll forgive us. Hi, I have a question for your garden podcast. My name is Jermaine Jenkins, and I just read your post about um, biodiversity and started to um, look into double digging. But I live in a city where a lot of the soil is contaminated. So I was wondering if you have um, ideas for folks that live in the city with potentially contaminated soil. How do they practice um, this method? Well, uh, oh, contaminated that's a, soil that's is a big one. It's a good yes question. and no. It's a big well, one, and yet it's not. Let me let me let me uh, just say uh, that double digging contaminated soil not a good idea. You don't want to disturb it. And to move backward even further, if you live in an urban area, or hell, even if you live in a rural area, you should always have your soil tested. tested. Exactly. Because yeah, we've just we've just done a number on our soil, um, and uh, and you, you've got to make sure before you're growing food in there. Check your uh, local extension there. service. Sometimes has free soil testing. Not always. If not, you'll have to find a lab. And um, you're going to pay. Mm, maybe up to 70 bucks it kind of depends on how many tests you're you're taking and the quality of the lab Uh, assuming it comes back contaminated uh don't double dig don't double dig don't freak out either uh to grow vegetables you'll probably need to do uh raised beds um get you know at least two feet maybe a little more is probably good get it above get your roots above the the contaminated soil the other thing to note is that uh, fruit uh, does not pull up contaminants. And that includes things like tomatoes. Tomatoes, but fruit trees. So fruit trees are okay. Don't it, freak out. 
uh, if you have fruit yeah, trees. Fruit, yeah, that might be one of the best best ways to perp- repurpose. You know, if you find out that your yard is fairly toxic, just plant a bunch of fruit trees. You exactly. Know? Uh, um, so essentially, and don't disturb the soil. Yeah, That's don't the, disturb the soil. That, just like lay down a nice layer of, of mulch. mulch, which we like the best. You or in put, a wet climate, sod or sod. Is if, also, yeah, if you don't have to spend a lot of water to keep that alive, sod or mulch. I mean, or you know, people can do concrete, but that's not recommended. Yeah, don't do concrete. But you know, basically, you just want to keep the dirt from drying up and drifting around its dust, because the, then the leads and what in that will will get, you know, into your house, into your onto your skin. So you just want to cover it up, basically, and with either mulch or sod. Cover um, it up, grow above it, plant above fruit it. trees. The other thing I, I want to say, even if you are, your soil is not contaminated. Double digging is not a really a recommended practice anymore. Uh, the science is pretty solid about uh, not disturbing the soil. If you can, if you do have heavily compacted soil, you do need to loosen it up. A broad fork is a great tool, although an expensive one to do that with. If you're using, a, if you're working in a smaller area, you can just use a pitchfork. A pitchfork, exactly. You just put the tines in with your, you know, you know, balance your weight on it and push the tines in as far as they will go. But don't do the the whole flip over like you would do with double digging. Well, double digging requires not a flip over, but it's, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a practice that... Uh, the, the problem with it is, is that it disturbs the network of fungal... Uh, the fungal network, like the fungal essentially. the fungal relationships in the soil... Among other things. I but, mean, which is not to say that people who double dig don't have really nice gardens. It's it's like one of those things that gardeners argue about. Except Great that, God Javen still does it, you know, bless him. I know. Except the research is really the solidly research is against very solid, it. But I'm not sure that everybody knows how to manage a no-dig garden. Mm, we'll have to. We can maybe we can talk about this later. This is another blog post. But anyway, you don't want to be chucking your um your contaminated soil around if it's contaminated. I guess in short, right? That's where we were before we got sidetracked there. Exactly. Um, you can also remediate. I mean, I remediation is a it's like a gift, I think, to nature. And sometimes I wonder if we should be doing that. It you mean, grow time. sunflowers, pull them out throw them out yes yeah. you can grow phytoremediation uh, phytoremediation yeah, sunflowers and there's other um other plants that pull up uh, that's a very long-term well. project but however. you know even if you just knock it back a little bit like maybe you do it for two three years and not you, long you enough take no but i i've been surprised by seeing some numbers i i don't have them on hand but you know would it be worth it to knock it back by 50 percent? maybe it would it takes a long time to get it all out to make the soil clean again but it doesn't take that long to knock the numbers down. It seems to be a we have a podcast of extremely complicated issues. Yeah, not, today, much time, complicated not much time, issues, complicated issues, and no expertise. Exactly. But <laughs> but I you know but that's something you can think about is is um, uh, phytoremediation. You can look it up if uh, and uh, still consider... I think I think that if you want to get the vegetables going immediately. You know, you need Just to do you need your raised beds. Maybe you need, maybe you can work out something where you can have some parts of your yard devoted to raised beds and some parts of your yard devoted to your, your phyto, phyto your yeah. amateur phyto remediation project. project. Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is, I think maybe we should do. Well, yeah, and there are people looking into this right mm-hmm. now. It's just sort of evolving. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's it's another you know yet it's another thing another like sugar that's a complicated 
system. Yeah, and everybody's problem. got lots the whole of theories about like, oh, you know, the mushrooms or what, you know, and maybe we just don't, you know, know everything yet. Hopefully someday. But we, we I think we have to because we have to figure out how to clean up this mess we've Because we certainly made a mess. Speaking of making a mess, anything else um, you want to say before we uh, <laughs> Are you close? speaking of our podcast? Our second podcast. Uh, you still feel I still feel a little bit like Rupert Pupkin, but that that feeling's going away that's slowly. Your inherent megalomania is, is you know I can see the gleam in your eyes. You exactly. love a mic. You love a mic. We'll have to go kidnap someone now. <laughs> Anyways, um, feed them croissants. With that, uh, I think we'll move to our closing here. If you have a question for the uh, Root Simple podcast, and wouldn't it be nice to have a question that wasn't too? Please years call old? us. Yes, exactly. We need some new questions. <laughs> uh, call us at area code two one three five three seven two five nine one, or send us an email to uh, rootsimple at gmail dot com. You can follow our blog at rootsimple dot com. We are Root Simple on Twitter, and you can friend me on Facebook. You can friend me too. How do we friend you, Kelly? Well, my name's Kelly Coyne. There you go. C-O-Y-N-E. There you are. And I'm Eric Knutzen. That's E-R-I-K-K-N-U-T-Z-E-N. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment for us in the iTunes store. Our theme music is by Dr. Frankenstein. Additional music by Roe. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 